Well, um, it's a real joy and a very profound honor to be with you at all. Um, I've seen you guys through the little, uh, little feed, and this is way better. This is way, way better. Uh, congratulations on two years. Yeah, uh, I know you're Presbyterian, but you can clap. It's okay. <laughs> uh, having, having walked with Ben for six years and uh, talking to him every couple of three weeks, and uh, a big part of my job is to uh, coach church planters. Um, this is, I'm in the 20s now of churches that I've walked with and church planters that I've walked with, and I want you to know this. Ben didn't pay me to say this, but you have a really awesome church planter and pastor. Do you know that? Yeah. That was pretty weak. I think you should try a little bit harder and, and concern. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, there are not many people that can plant a church, period. Um, and there are not many that can do what you got. Oh, and there's Alana. And Alana's even, even more awesome. But she's working, so. <laughs> she's not even paying attention. She's totally tracking there. Uh, but listen, congratulations, Ben and Alana. Congratulations, those of you all that are leading. Many of the leaders are not even in the room. But congratulations to you guys that have been a part of this of this movement to see the gospel extended into, into Palm Bay and in, in another church where Jesus is proclaimed and lifted up and made much of. Um, so now what you need to realize is you're only two years in. <laughs> you're, you're a really big two-year-old. Let me just tell you, this is a really um, big two-year-old church plant. And you guys have got some things to work on here in the coming years. And I will be working from, uh, from my, my house in Atlanta to help you guys continue on in this process by coaching uh, Ben and occasionally talking to Alana, too. It's a real joy. So again, thank you for the privilege and honor. Um, I am going to get to the scripture here in a minute, but I have had a really emotional morning. Uh, first of all, I'm here. Um, second of all, uh, people joined the church. And then uh, kids were baptized. And then uh, a little one was baptized. And you just don't know. I, I can't, I don't have words to explain to you how awesome that really is. It's a really special moment. And I thought I was going to have a better grip on myself after watching the cartoon and <laughs> taking a break. But nope, nope. Uh, Jim doesn't cry often, but it's almost always about Jesus in his church. So um, let me tell you a little bit about myself and bring you greetings from my, my wife, Elizabeth. Um, she sends her greetings. I bring you greetings from our kids and our, we've got three precious grandchildren. Uh, I bring you greetings from the island of Cuba. And I wish I could say a whole lot more about what's going on there, but I want to say thank you for your support of the work there and your generous donations to the food and to the, the medicine that's being delivered via containers and um, the, the president of the denomination there, Los Pinos Nuevos, uh, Pachi Quesada, sends his greetings and says, thank you very much for your support and your help. It's a real honor for us. I work for Church Multiplication Ministries, if you're wondering, and uh, part of what I do is coach, and we train other gospel coaches, and we do a lot of work in getting gospel coaching was what got us into Cuba and has then led to being this trusted partner 
uh, in a work that Cubans are actually leading in that nation. And it's a whole story that I don't have time to tell, but you guys are part of, you're just a few generations away from the founder relationally. You're three generations away, three friendships away from um, being at the very root of something that God is doing is very unique in Cuba, and we have the honor to be a part of it. So, um, all right, so now I think I'm getting a grip on my, my emotions here. Um, let me just say this. I have essentially one really big purpose today, and that's to encourage you. Um, I really do want you to be encouraged. I want you to be encouraged from God's Word. I think as you see where we go in the Scripture, you're also going to be challenged. But my main intention today is to encourage you, and in particularly, encourage you about the, the, the way that you think about God, because the way that you think about God has implications. The way that the, the things that we believe, the things that we feel deeply, and the things that we know impact the way that we live our lives. So here is the, the big thing that I want you to remember. It's that God is generous. That's the big encouragement. God is generous. And uh, like Ben, I had an uh, early part of my career was in, uh, in youth ministry, specifically junior high ministry. So I have a weird way of approaching the world for the most part. I'm just going to tell you my, my, rem- my mnemonic for today so you can remember this. Uh, it is this, that God is a generous giver so that we can be generous livers. And that was my joke. So, ta-da! Um, I'm not a comedian. Thank goodness we have God's word. Uh, God is very generous to us, and it does have impact in the way that we live our lives. So we've got a a few verses that we're going to look at today throughout the story of Scripture. The first one is in Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 through 29, what theologians call the creation mandate. So if you want to open your actual Bible with paper or turn on your app or watch the screen behind me, I want to read this passage to you, and we're going to explore the encouragement and the truth that God is a generous giver. This is God's word. Genesis 1, verse 27 through 29. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth. Every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. This is the beginning of the story. This was written to a group of people who had been in slavery for 400 years. Part of Joseph's story, the cartoon that we watched. It's a little bit later on. But this was written to them to give them a sense of who is this God that has rescued them. And in many ways, we need to understand that too. We need to Now, who is this God that rescued us? He is a generous God. He, he's, he created us with a purpose. It says there that we are to, we're blessed by him. We're to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea. And then he follows up, I have given you. So there are a few things for us to think about 
when we think about God being generous to us and what that means, first of all, uh, it means that he created us. He created us. He created everything. He has given us everything that we, that we, uh, that we need. The question is, what do you think about what you need? Do you recognize that you are a created person? Do you view yourself, your, your life, your, your vocation, all the things that God has given you, do you recognize those are basically gifts from God? Do you see it that way? Do you feel it that way? Does it sink down into, the, the, into your gut like, oh, yeah, I'm created by God according to his purposes. He has given us this creation mandate. We read the creation mandate a little bit later on. Uh, you'll see that he also commanded us to rest. That's a part of it. So he has created us. He has given us everything. It is our origin story. Uh, and here's the other thing. He owns it all. God created us to be generous. He's given us everything, and he owns it all. He has created it all. It belongs to him. Now, if you're, if you're not conscious of the things that you believe, if you're not aware of the things that you believe, sometimes you can get misperceptions about what reality is. You can believe things that are lies. You can believe things that are half-truths, things that are misperceptions, and it can, it can have real-life implications. It reminds me of a time uh, when our, our, um, our, six-year-old, our six-year-old, we have three kids. I was telling uh, Ben and Alana's kids that we have kids just like them, same birth order boy, two girls. Our, our middle, uh, our Lola, for those of you guys that need perspective, uh, her name's Erica, and when she was six, she had to go in the hospital, and it wasn't really a big deal. We didn't think a thing about it. She went to the hospital she had to get IVs, and mom and dad, we knew what was going on. But years later, like when she was in high school, we're sitting around the table like you do and talking about when you, when you had to go to the hospital and why you had to go and, you know, like comparing scars and stories and stuff like that. You guys do that, right? We're not the only ones, right? And uh, Erica says, uh, hey, I, I have to confess something. We were like, Okay. What? She said, that time that I was uh, in the hospital, um, it was my fault. I was laying in there in, in the bed and just sure that I had broken the, one of the rules that mom had given us, and that was why I was in the hospital. And we were like, what rule was that? She said, I drank bath water. <laughs> you know, mom, when you tell us we're playing tea set in the bath, you would tell us, don't drink bath water. Well, I drank bath water, and the next day, I ended up in the hospital. <laughs> she had, uh, she had a, a misperception in her heart. She had a lie in her heart that drinking bath water would make her sick and go right to the hospital. Now, my wife wanted me to assure all of you that you should still not drink bath water, <laughs> but it won't put you in the hospital. But the funny thing was, as we're, as we're clarifying this with Erica, her younger sister looks at her and goes, wait a minute. What? Wait a minute. I've been living my whole life in fear of bathwater getting into my mouth. It's not true. It's not true. 
the things that we have misperceptions and lies in our minds about, they have real world experience, real life and real world uh, results and, and, and conclusions in other people's lives. So, the encouragement is God is generous. The question is, how deeply does that get into your heart? How much is that the core of what you believe about yourself? That you were created in his image. A generous image. You have been given everything that you have is from him. God is generous. And that enables us to live generous lives. Now, let's apply this really quick. I come from a uh, denominational background. I won't tell you the name, but it starts with a B and rhymes with Aptist. And um, <laughs> there was a big emphasis in that uh, denomination that will remain, remain nameless on, on people uh, being called into full-time vocational ministry. And it was really, really a big deal when somebody would, would say, I'm going to go into full-time Christian ministry. I feel called of God. And I just want to tell you that every single one of you is called by God into full-time vocational ministry. It is your calling to do what God calls you to do. If you're a student in here, your full-time call in the image of God is to be a student. If you're in logistics... Your full-time calling is to be in logistics for the glory of God. If you're in medicine, it's your full-time calling. It's God's calling to you. It's your, it's your part of the image of God. It's your part of subduing and having dominion and being a blessing to the whole world, to being a new city here in Palm City. And now some of you are, I know, I'm getting to that age where you have to think about what the gray hair people are thinking in the room. Some of you guys are like, no, I don't have a full-time calling. I'm retired. Well, there's a trick to this. And I think our Spanish-speaking brothers and sisters have a great, a great little uh, word here that, that makes it clear to us. When you're, when you're retired, the word in Spanish is jubilado. Uh, let me spell it for you in English. J-U-B-I-L. A-D-O. It's the root word for jubilee. <laughs> You've been set free. You've been set free from your former full-time vocation as a doctor or an engineer or as a homemaker, and you are set free to serve God's kingdom all the time, every day. All of us are created in God's image. All of us are created in the image of generosity. All of us have a calling. There is no such thing as a divide between what is uh, spiritual and what is secular. That, that's a false distinction. That's a lie. It doesn't exist. That's not the way that God looks at us. You're a whole person created in the image of God with a calling, and he owns everything, and he's given you this call. Now here, this is the encouraging. It's challenging. It's kind of the good side, uh, the good news of, uh, of this sermon. Uh, I want to transition to a second encouragement that may be a little more challenging. If you want to turn your Bible to Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 10, 11. Don't put it on the screen yet because I want us to read it at the same time. Um, this is a little later on. Again, these were the people that was originally written to. 
It was written to people who had been slaves, and now it's getting towards the end of the 40 years they were in the wilderness. It's like you're 39, and God's reviewing for them, hey, this is how you're going to live outside of the slavish mentality that you grew up, you grew up in. Um, and they're literally getting ready to go from eating manna every single day, wearing the same clothes that they've been wearing for 40 years, and they're getting ready to go into the land of milk and honey to have houses they didn't build and gardens that they didn't till. And God is getting ready to give them a big gift, and he's talking to them about how to prepare for the seasons Every seven years, everyone was to be set free from any debt that they went into. In the midst of this, in Deuteronomy chapter 15, uh, this is verse 10 and 11. This is what I'm just, the whole, uh, don't have time for the whole chapter. So here you go. Chapter 10, uh, chapter 15, verse 10 and 11. You shall give to him freely. The him there is someone who has become poor. Okay. Your heart shall not be grudging when you give to him, because for this the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all that you undertake. For there will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy, and to the poor in your land. This leads us to our second point. Not only is God generous and enables us to live a generous life. God is generous, and he commands us to generously overcome our unjust stinginess. We are commanded to do this. This is a law. It's, theologians call it the poverty mandate. I think that's a terrible name for it. It should be the generosity mandate. And more specifically, the local living generosity where you live mandate. It is a command for us to be generous. Why? Because we're no longer slaves. We have been set free. Yeah, I heard an amen there. We have been set free. And we are to overcome the effects of individual and corporate sin by overcoming the, un, the injustice and the inherent consequences of when groups of sinners live together in a broken world. We are to overcome that by being generous and overcoming our own unjust stinginess with the people that we live near, our, the poor, those that are brothers, people in your land. Uh, later on, it talks about immigrants. I could talk for hours about that. God gives us a responsibility, an opportunity, indeed a commandment to be generous, to not be stingy. And that, that's hard. That's hard. As with most things in God's law, when you really look at it and you really do an honest assessment like probably most of you are doing right now, you, you think to yourself, oh, man, I'm... I don't like that, and I don't do that. And that's this whole thing that he's talking about, not just being giving to people freely in verse 10, but in your heart. Notice he talks about your heart. You shall not be grudging when you give to him. Well, I'm being, honestly, I'm begrudging even reading that right there because this is, you know, 
anytime a preacher points at you, he's got three fingers pointing back at himself. And I feel this. This is a high standard, but I'm not just going to dance around it. I'm going to make it worse. So buckle up. <laughs> it's worse for me too. Because there are, I'm, I'm summarizing two lies or two enemies of God's generosity. Two enemies of, um, or two rebellions that we have against God's generosity in two ways that we, uh, we are stingy. The first one is kind of an internal stinginess. It's like this, where you think or you feel that all of your finances and all of your time and all of your passions and all of your comforts and security, they're all up to you. It's all up to me. I have to earn it. I have to keep it. I have to protect it. And if I lose it, I'm going to be pretty teed off. So I live in fear. That's an internal stinginess. And it can happen while you're young and you're thinking about how you're going to live your life. It can happen when you're in the middle of your life. And it can happen when it's later on in your life where you say, I have earned it and I'm going to keep it. And I'm going to fight anybody who tries to take it from me. And I'm going to be subtly very proud about all the things that I have done for myself. That internal stinginess is essentially saying, I am my own sovereign. I am my own king. I am my own rule maker. I am the one who's responsible for my generosity. That's an internal stinginess. There's also an external stinginess, which comes in a couple of different forms. It can come in the form where you look to someone else to be your God with a small g. Someone else to provide for you. Someone else to take responsibility for your time or your money or your passions or your comfort or your security. And you can, in essence, give them the power to be your sovereign over your world and have this false sense of absolution over whatever happens around you, that is just as stingy in a different way. There's also a stinginess that happens when you've had it or someone was giving it to you and then you lost it and you feel rotten because you did lose it and you're ashamed and you don't have much and so you try to cover your shame. Those are all ways that we rebel against God's generosity, ways that we do not trust God who is generous. It's ways, I'm saying we because it's me too. It really is. So let me ask you a question. If you're, if you, are, are you telling God, no thank you, I don't need your generosity or I only need it for certain things in my life? Because God has some opinion about that. He doesn't take it lightly. When you say no to your creator who is so generous, you are shaming him. You're disrespecting him and dishonoring him. And in his righteousness, in his holiness, he is appropriately angry when people don't take him at his word. But I have another question. What does God do 
about people who are stingy, people who make him angry, people who dishonor him. There was a season when the people of God were in the wilderness where serpents were attacking them and biting them. People were dying. There was no hospital. There was no, there was no way for them to be healed. And God told Moses to make a bronze serpent and put it on a pole. And everyone who looked at the bronze serpent and believed would not perish. They would be saved. And a couple thousand years later, when Jesus was on the earth, he was talking to a very rich man, a very educated man, who was pretty stingy in his heart, who uh, grumbled and was begrudging and wasn't giving. And this is what Jesus said. You fill in the blank when you know where I am. As Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he, he gave. For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave sacrificially. He gave freely. He gave to rebellious, stingy, grumpy, angry people who dishonored him and shamed him. He gave not just sacrificially, he gave his very best. He gave his only son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God did not send his own son into the world to condemn the world or you who are listening to this sermon right now. He came that we might be saved through him. Why did God give? For God so loved the world that he gave. And if you have placed your faith in Christ Jesus, that is the same person who lives inside of you. That is the same motivation that is inside of you through the Holy Spirit. The love of God is what motivates you. It's what should motivate you. It's it's the best thing ever. <laughs> this law, this generosity mandate, this local living generosity mandate, convicts us of our failings. It convicts us of the lies that create stinginess in our heart. It creates, it shows us the way that we're just bankrupt without God. But it then very clearly shows us that there was someone, Jesus, who took responsibility for the poor. There is someone who took the opportunity to be generous and to set people free from a debt they could never recover from. He is the one who covered the shame of poverty and the shame of stinginess. He is the one who had it all, lost it all, sacrificed it all so that we could receive it all. God gave us his best. He gave us his son. Do you believe that? This means yes. Do you believe that? Do you, do you want to believe that more deeply? I do. That is what will change and transform individuals and families and cities. Is when we profoundly in an ongoing way, more deeply and more uh, 
yeah, just I don't have any other words, deep and profoundly believe that God has given us everything that we need. But it does raise this question. What lie in your heart and in your mind needs to be kicked out? What misperception about, it's not bathwater, it's a lot worse, it's our sin. What misperception needs to be kicked out? What needs to be repented of? What needs to be confessed? If you, upon listening to this, want to simply turn from that lie, you can. Just tell God. Tell Him about your sorrow for your stinginess, for whatever it is, for all of whatever it is, your finances, your time, your, your talents, your aspirations, your comfort, your security, the sense of approval. Because here's the truth. When you turn from that, you are so secure in Jesus by faith in him that you have absolutely nothing to fear. There's no reason for you to fear. That was just me. I'm going to land the plane, though, so I got another minute. I planned that. Let me say that again. When you put your faith in Jesus... You're so secure, you have nothing to fear. When you put your faith in Jesus, when you trust his generosity, you are so fully approved by God the Father that there's nothing you have to prove to anyone. And when you put your faith in Jesus, you are so free from condemnation that you have nothing left to hide. When you trust in him, he gives you everything he earned. His righteousness, his generosity, his effort, his view of the world, his aspirations. And some of you, like me, you resist it. Say, I, I don't really need that, that much help. I just need God a little. Some of you don't even know what we're talking about. And you need to, for the first time, trust Jesus with the, the problem of sin and, and the moral bank, bankruptcy that you have, the viewpoints that you have. I just want to tell you, I, I have to commend it to you. I've been on this planet for uh, a number of years now, and there is nothing better than trusting Jesus. There is nothing better than repentance. It sounds so weird to say that, but actually to repent and to confess, it's a joy now because I've come to realize that Jesus' love, God's love, his generosity is so much bigger than anything that I would have ever imagined. But sometimes we forget who's the owner and who's the manager, and what we have left to do. And On Friday, when Ben picked me up at the airport, we, I hopped in his truck, and we drove over to the house, and we were hanging out, met the neighbors, played soccer and football, had a great dinner, just chatting, and showed pictures of my grandkids. That was a lot of fun. And uh, 
rather than Ben driving me to the hotel, he's like, here, just take the keys to my truck and, and uh, just drive yourself. And I was like, oh, that's nice. Okay, so I got the truck, I drove over there, and then we reconnected yesterday, and, and uh, I said to Ben, Ben, I'd like to give you my truck. <laughs> I said that, didn't I? And he had this exactly what I did. He was like, what in the world? And I gave him the key to my truck. Or did I? Y'all, God owns it all. He's given it to you to use and invest and indeed enjoy everything that he's given you. But he is expecting us to be generous. Because God so loved the world that he gave. Amen? Now let's pray.